0: Would you please join me as I pray? Our Father, we thank you. We gather in these moments with holy anticipation because we believe that you are a speaking God. Help us to be a listening people. This text speaks to the hearts of weary people. And so where we are weary, God, we're saying to you, we, we need your help. And I, I pray that through this word, by the power of your spirit, you would help your people to endure and to run the race faithfully that you've set out before us. So we're asking that you would come and you would tend to us, you would strengthen us, you would give us resolve and faithfulness to be the sorts of people that keep running no matter the difficulties and the struggles, that we would run the race. So Holy Spirit, would you take this word, would you apply it to our hearts, help us to receive it with, with joy, with submission, with obedience, in a way that produces fruit. You're welcome in this place to do that work. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen let me start by just saying uh saying thank you thank you for your prayers and faithfulness many of you know the last couple weeks have been tough at our house but the lord has been really tender and caring for us um through all of you through our our own my doctor i get emotional that the one that's been taking care of my boy's heart sits on the front row and worships with us we love you chris and thankful for the way you've cared for our son and, and thankful for the prayers and the love of this community um yeah, it was an intense couple weeks. It, for those who don't know, our, our youngest has been in the ICU, he had acute respiratory failure. There were some really scary moments over the last two weeks. You don't want to see your child be intubated and struggling to breathe and needing machines to do it for him. Uh, but we felt really loved by this community. And as quickly as his body kind of descended, it also ascended. You know, he just has um, recovered really quickly, and he's right here, which is just a joy. Last Sunday, I was up here with my my three older sons while well, my wife was in the ICU with him and they're worshiping here with us this morning so thank you for your prayers for your support for meals we feel just really tended to and we're thankful um I was talking to the guys in the back it's dangerous in setting out a preaching calendar because it does feel like the Lord in his wisdom uh continues to entrust things to me like in alignment with the text uh I was meditating on a text about what does it mean to run and not grow weary what does it mean to keep running when life feels challenging i was meditating on that in hospital rooms and preparing to preach this in this place and i just want to say that we're not unique in having difficult situations it's what it means to live in a broken world we all have them we all do We all have moments that take us to the end of ourselves and leave us feeling weary and wondering, what does it look like to remain faithful here? And the good news is that God in his kindness and his tenderness and his faithfulness and his wisdom and his power, he speaks to that. He's speaking to that for us today, saying to a people that are tempted to feel weary and hopeless, saying, you can keep running and I'm gonna show you how. You see, the the author of the book of Hebrews has been on this journey as we've been talking about. He has argued that the very presence of God, all of the riches of being near to the heart of God has been opened to you in Jesus. He spent nearly 10 chapters making that argument. And then he turned this corner in the midway through of chapter 10 and said, okay, this is what we're to do in response. And the first thing was, we're supposed to be the sorts of people that that step out in faith, that we, we are faithful people. And then he spends all of chapter 11 talking about this is what faith looks like. And the second thing he said was we hold fast to our confession of hope. We continue to be a people of hope. And in chapter 12, he is spending the whole of the chapter saying this is what it looks like to keep running with hearts full of hope. And the last command that he made in chapter 10 that then he's exploring near the, near the end of this letter is This is what it looks like to stir one another up towards love. And next week in chapter 13, as he rounds the corner on the the conclusion, we're going to be seeing the community engaging with love. He's talking about being a people of faith, hope, and love in response to his presence being open to us. This week, we're talking about what does it mean to keep running with hearts full of hope, even when your circumstances are trying to convince you to do otherwise. And in this chapter, he's going to give us five reasons, five ways that we can be the sorts of people who keep running, who run the race of faith faithfully. So the first, the first way, the first thing that he says has to be in place if you're going to be the sort of person that keeps running in the midst of all of life's circumstances, and it's this, you have to travel lightly. If you're going to run this race faithfully and for the long haul, you're going to run it the way he's called you to, you're going to have to travel lightly. He's going to tell us that we have to actually throw some things off. He's going to say that you're going to throw some things off that might be good things, they've just become cumbersome things, and you have to throw off all of the sinful things that would entangle. So some good things that are cumbersome and all bad things have to be cast off if you're going to keep running this race the way that he says it in verse 1, look back with me, says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, that means every heavy thing, everything that might slow you down, it's not necessarily bad things, it's cumbersome things, every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, it's, it's because there's a race to be run that things have to be cast aside. I, uh, I ran track in high school, not very well, but I tried. I, don't, I never actually won a race, but I showed up, you know? I trained in the off season, I prepared, I started as a junior in high school and had done all the workups, workouts leading up to my first, just before the first big track meet. The big surprise was they got new uniforms for our team. And they presented us with the uniforms and my coach gave me a singlet that was about this big. He was like, here's your uniform. This is what you're going to race in. And I was holding it like this. I was like, I I think there's a mistake, you know. He's like, no, put it on. You'll see. And I, you know, you you have to put the straps up over your shoulders. And I felt very exposed in that thing. But the deal was it's different when it comes time to race. It's different even than the training. It's different than going out for a jog. The idea around what track people wear when it comes time for the race is there is going to be no drag, nothing to slow you down, because just the slightest bit is the difference between finishing here and finishing here. We're going to get rid of everything that creates drag. The reason that he's saying you're going to throw things off is because you're not on a Sunday stroll. Like, Jesus has purchased you with his blood, and he has purposes for your life that are eternal and glorious and big big in the sense that he's made you for himself and he's going are you going to run for the ultimate purposes are you just going to kind of stroll along like a pedestrian he's saying if you're going to go on the race if you're going to run the way that i've called you to you're going to have to throw some things off you're actually going to have to reduce some drag The way that he says this is there's going to be these weights that have to be thrown off i've had this great privilege of walking with people over the years that are growing as disciples and as their hearts are coming alive to the grace of jesus i've seen people throw things off that weren't bad things they were just things that had started to get in the way i had a friend say to me uh jeremiah i'm giving up sports radio and i was like oh that's interesting why why is that you know uh it's like there's nothing sinful about sports radio and he's like well no no it's not that it's sin it's a weight i listen to it every day on my way to and from work i realize that i'm spending an hour and a half a day focusing on all these things that i have no control over worried about what's going to happen if this person gets traded or how this thing's going to happen he said and it's not actually creating fruit in my life i think i could do better things with that time and so you can hold me accountable i'm done with sports radio that was a casting off of something that had become cumbersome it wasn't sinful it just wasn't helpful i've had friends that have said uh you know what i'm not i'm not an alcoholic and i'm not taking it to extremes but i've realized that alcohol is not producing joy and fruitfulness in my life so i'm actually going to set it aside it feels like it's just exerting too much influence i don't i don't need that I've had friends say to me, I'm done with social media. It's not that it's sin predominantly, but it just takes so much time and focus and I'm always distracted and I don't wanna live like that. I wanna run. You see, there's something that happens in the heart of a disciple as they start to be arrested by the glory of Jesus. They start saying small and insignificant things that exert oversized influence on in my life. It's drag that I don't need. They start casting certain things off. But then it's not just those things. It's not just good and cumbersome things, but it's sinful things. And he actually zooms in a little bit further later in the chapter to explore what he means by the sinful things that entangle. Look at verses 12 through 17 with me. He's gonna explore two particular sins that are plaguing these first century Hebrew Christians. He's gonna talk about unforgiveness, bitterness interpersonally, and sexual sin. Thankfully, those things were only first century issues, right? (laughs) Let's see how he says it. He says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which no one, without which no one will see the Lord. There's the two things, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. And then he explains them both. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. By it, many will become defiled. Uh, And that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You see, he's saying you have to throw off the cumbersome things and the sinful things, and he takes two examples for the sinful things, and he says, listen, where you've got unforgiveness in your heart, it will keep you from running the way that you're supposed to. There's that person back in the rear view where you go, they're not worthy of my forgiveness. Uh, It's never going to be made right. I'm just going to be angry forever. He's going, you can't run like that. He says, it so easily entangles. It's like it wraps around you and it keeps you from being able to move forward. Is there someone you need to forgive so you can run? and he says in sexual sin and he, he relates it to what happens with esau he says you're so tempted to go thinking that if only i could find my fulfillment sexually in ways that are outside of the bounds of what god has defined that i i would finally be happy i'd finally be satisfied and he relates it to esau who didn't particularly engage in sexual sin but he uses the example of esau because esau sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge you remember this God's blessings to satisfy his hunger for a moment. He's going, your sexual immorality is like that. When you go back to that old thing one more time thinking finally this addiction, this this pornography, this sexual sin that I run back to over and over, it's going to deliver my pleasure finally. And he's going, does it ever quite work? Doesn't it always just end up that you feel like it was it was a bowl of porridge. It, it satisfied you momentarily, but it ultimately didn't satisfy. He's going, listen, friends, if you're going to run the race that God has for you, you're going to have to throw some things off. It's going to cause you to pause and consider, what are the good things in life that have become cumbersome that slow me down, and what are the sinful things that so easily entangle that I have to throw off so that I can run the race? He says, you have to travel light. But not just that. You don't just have to travel like the Second thing is this. You need to remember who is watching. Remember who is watching. Now, can we all just admit that there are times and places where if someone is in the room, we respond a little bit differently, we act a little bit differently. When you're making the big presentation at work and like the boss's boss, the big boss comes in and is there. All of a sudden, you're, you're a little more buttoned up, a little more prepared, really on point. I remember uh ashley i've I've shared some stories about me spending a couple of years trying to get ashley to like me i remember while i was it was in that season my sophomore year she came to a basketball tournament that i was playing in and um and i was very aware that she was in the room i was thinking if she could just see me really shine in all of my basketball glory then she would finally understand that i was worthy of her attention little did i know she didn't care about basketball really uh, but that didn't change the fact that her being in the room, I've never dove for so many loose balls in all my life. I was diving, you know, like getting up and like brushing my hair aside. I did a lot of yelling. like ah! I'd look over just to make sure she was watching. She often wasn't. Um, <laughs> but the idea is when there's certain people in the room, it changes the way you act. We know this. We, we, can, we can recall our own experience. We The author of hebrews is playing off of this he's saying remember who's watching you you have an audience at all times if you need to understand what it looks like to run the race with endurance to keep running consider who's watching he starts in verse one we heard it where he says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses this is verse one of chapter 12 after all of chapter 11 which we studied last week which was the hall of faith all of the men and women that have so faithfully pursued the Lord, men like David and Samuel, men like noah and abel he's gone through the ages and said look back at these people he says it's like they are a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding and cheering you on as you run your leg of the journey he's going the eyes of the faithful through the generations are on you as you continue to carry this baton forward you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that has stood the test of time through the generations. But then he doubles down later on in the text and says, not just, not just them, but I want, you to, consider, I want to con- you to consider where you are and who's watching. And in verses 18 through 24, he does something that he's done several times throughout the book of Hebrews. If you've been with us, you remember this. He's been very focused on this idea that we have access to the holy of holies, the holiest place of God. And he paints this picture again and says, this is where you're living already. And I want you to pay attention to who he says is involved, who's present, who's watching. Listen with me to verses 18 through 24. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, He starts by painting a picture of Sinai saying Moses received the old covenant by going up on the mountain. He says this is what it looked like. A blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, a big storm, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure in order... Uh, They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He says, that's what Moses experienced. It was stunning and overwhelming. Then this is what he says. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, to the of To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you hear what he's doing? He's going, There's a lot of people involved in paying attention in your story. He's going, There are innumerable angels that are with you, watching, paying attention. He says, and by the way, God, the judge of all, has eyes on every part of your life. And Jesus is there sprinkling you with his blood, saying, I've purchased you, I've paid for this. You see, he's saying when your arms grow weak, when you have drooping hands and weak knees and you're exhausted from the road that you're running and you're thinking, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go find sexual satisfaction over here, this cheap fix. He's going, in that moment, would you pause and would you consider this? You're not alone. You think you're alone, you're not alone. God is with you. Jesus is present. The angels are watching. The saints of history have their eyes on you. He's going, "Listen, would you pause and pay attention that God is present in a real way when he's he's calling us to run with endurance." And he says, "We have to throw off, cast off certain things, travel lightly." And one of the reasons that we will be willing to do that is we are aware Of who's watching you're not alone so travel light remember who's watching third find your motivation find your motivation it may be that you say okay i get it i'm supposed to cast some things off and i'm entertaining the eyes of angels and of god himself and the faithful in every moment of this journey that i get to walk through this world but he's saying There's still going to be moments where all of a sudden the hills feel really steep and the sun feels really hot and we go, I don't know that I can keep moving forward. It's just too much. He's going, in the moments where your motivation is wavering, what are you going to tell yourself? What are you going to focus on? I'd like to ask you, when life is hardest, when the most difficult things show up on your doorstep, what story do you tell yourself? What do you rehearse and what do you focus on? I think this is the moment where we begin to spiral, where we quit running with endurance, but oftentimes we fall ourselves, find ourselves kind of falling into the deep and the dark. Um, I felt it, I felt it in a, in a hospital room this last week. There's this temptation to rehearse a story that's mostly about me. And that's the point at which it starts to become marked by fear and anxiety. You know, if, you, if, if the thoughts that you sort of entertain or nobody understands what I go through or my path is so much harder, they don't get it. Or I've been single so long, I carry a weight that other people don't understand. Or my marriage is so challenging, nobody really understands what it means to live in the midst of this. Or, and we start to rehearse the things. We rehearse them over and over, like we're picking at a scab, and it It causes us to spiral. I felt myself standing and peering into the abyss in moments of real intensity over the last week going, is this the way that I'm gonna allow my mind to work? Because we're just so naturally drawn to those places. Moments of disappointment and heartache shrink our world. We start to think about ourselves so profoundly. And to that, the author of Hebrews says, let me give you a different focus. Let me give you a different motivation. In verses two through four, this is what he says, is he's inviting people to see outside of themselves and the very moments that are going to create their weariness and their heartache. This is what he says. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, or the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. That's a command there to the weary and the broken heart. He says, consider him, think about him. Him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you won't grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. He's saying, listen, Jesus had it way worse and he handled it way better. Set your eyes on the one that's running out in front of you, the pioneer. He said he endured so much, He was perfectly innocent and loving and pure and he was broken for the joy that was set before him. He set his gaze on the church. He said, I'm gonna buy her with my blood from the enemy. I'm gonna purchase her from death itself and I'm willing to endure all of the shame and all of the hostility. He's saying in your moments of weariness, think about him. You have agency to choose your thoughts and moments of hopelessness. You get to decide, what am I going to think about? And here the author of Hebrews is saying, let me give you your motivation. Set your gaze on Jesus and consider him. And maybe let's just even consider him in the two areas of sin that he's addressing in his own community. He says, what about unforgiveness, bitterness? Did you hear it in this text? He says, consider Jesus who endured such hostility from people. Even the men that he gave himself to that were so close to him. They all ran scared. Judas betrayed him. They they ran from him. And the religious that were supposed to be committed to him are the ones that were hurling insults at him. And when he was bleeding and dying, he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't let any root of bitterness take part in his heart. He said, I will extend forgiveness. Whatever has been done to you, however you've been mistreated, it pales in comparison to what Jesus endured on your behalf. And the author of the Hebrews is going, yes, I know, I know it's hard. I know they've mistreated you. Would you look at Jesus? Look at him. And to those in the room that are longing to be satisfied sexually in ways that go outside of the bounds of God, would you consider Jesus? He lived the perfect human life perfectly satisfied and joyful and rich union with his god in heaven and he will be perpetually eternally a virgin sexual satisfaction was not required to live the full human life we have been sold a lie and we think that sex is the end-all be-all And to that end, the author of Hebrews to a people that are weary and thinking maybe for this bowl of porridge, I'll give away God's best. He's going, stop. Look at Jesus. Look at him. If your arms are growing weak, if your knees are growing weak, listen, consider him consider him he's going you will cast some things off and you will move forward when you recognize that you have this audience that's paying attention to the decisions you make cheering you on to the grace and the glory of God and he's going and by the way keep your eyes on Jesus as you do you see we have to travel light and remember who's watching and find our motivation and fourth we have to love our training we have to love the training I'm about to say something that if you will believe it and receive it at a heart level, it will change your life. Every difficulty and every disappointment in your life has been designed and entrusted to you by a God who loves you and desires your good. Every disappointment heartache and challenge that you encounter has been designed and entrusted to you by a loving God that intends your good. If we can believe that, if we can come up under the training of God and recognize that He uses even the broken, even the ugly, even the sinful, I can say this with confidence because the ugliest and most broken moment in the crucifixion of His Son is where He won His greatest victory. And He will do the same with lesser pains throughout time. What He's saying is, will you trust me with them? Let me read it to you in verses 5 through 11 as He talks about the training of the Father for His children the discipline that he entrusts to his children. He says this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. This word for discipline that's being used and repeated in this is is the same word that's used for athletic training. It's like a coach saying, here's the workouts. Here's what's going to be required. That sort of discipline. Verse 7, it's, it's for discipline. It's for training that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and as daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and you're not, his, and you're not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You hear he's saying there's these amazing good things that are being worked even by the difficulties because they are under the loving hand of the Father, in verse 11, did you hear how he unlocked it for us? He says, it'll actually be beneficial to those that are trained by it. That word for trained is an interesting one. It comes from the same Greek word for gymnasium. Uh, it, and actually that, that word means, it's an, it's an odd word. It means to train naked. Uh, weird, I know. But what it means is this, like stripped of everything else, but still committed to the cause. Like I'm training, I'm leaning on, I'm, I'm pressing on. He's going, All of God's discipline will be beneficial to the one that loves to train. It's like the coach's training is best for the gym rat, the one that just loves to stick around in the gym after and keep doing the drills. I remember my brothers, they're two years apart. They played basketball together. They were my heroes growing up. And I remember they had this, really, this one coach when they were a junior and a freshman in high school and then a senior and sophomore, they were playing together. And the coach was pretty hardcore. He had this reputation for like, he will run you into the ground. And a lot of the players complained about it. They tried to sidestep the training. They tried to come up with excuses to miss out on some of the hard workouts. And uh, I remember this moment where like the shoe dropped for my brothers. They were like, ah, this coach wants us to be great. And so they went to him and they said, we want the workouts from practice. Will will you give them to us? And we're actually gonna start doing them at home in advance of the season. But the trick was we lived in Connecticut at the time and it's very cold through the winter and we had a gravel driveway. My brothers would go out and shovel the snow off of the gravel driveway and then they would run their sprints at night and play basketball on the gravel driveway, which basketball on gravel is not easy balls bouncing this way and that way, but they would go out and run the drills and run their sprints through carved snow in the driveway. And I remember when I was cheering for them as they were the starting guards getting to play together and I was their biggest fan cheering them on. I remember in the fourth quarter when everybody else is going, <sighs> my brother's are like, let's do this. And I was like, I know why. I saw them running through the snow sprinting and doing the workouts, they didn't try to sidestep what the coach had for them. They joyfully submitted to it and said, I want more, bring. it." You will spend your life either getting bitter and frustrated by the challenges in your life, trying to sidestep them as you grumble and complain, or you will recognize that you have a faithful, loving, sovereign God that hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel. Everything that's finding its way to you has been entrusted to you by his loving hand and he'll use it. He's saying, will you love my training? Will you trust in the dark moment that I'm working good things for you? Put your eyes on Jesus and recognize that I'm shaping you into his likeness. You're gonna taste my holiness if you'll keep running. You see, If we're gonna be the sorts of people that keep running, even in the hard moments, we're gonna cast some things off and we're gonna remember that we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, God himself, Jesus present with us. We're gonna do so with our eyes set on Jesus and we're gonna love the training, even the difficult moments. And when we do, the fifth thing will be true. We will celebrate the outcome. Let me read to you the last couple of verses where he finishes on this high note of a people that are celebrating. They are not bitter, and they are not unholy. They are grateful and worshipful. That's what replaces their bitterness and their unholiness. Hear it in verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. Gratitude and worship begins to bubble up in the heart that recognizes that God is tending to me at every moment, even the hard ones. I can keep running. And did you hear it in there? We're celebrating something that is a gift and a guarantee. Did you hear it? We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're not running trying to gain the kingdom. You're not running frantically trying to earn something. It's already yours. You're running because Jesus has secured it and your heart is overflowing with affection for the one whose eyes you're on. And you're going, ah, all the riches are already mine and I get to run for his glory and point and say it's all about him. It's already yours you're running out of a motivation out of a joy that it has been secured for you and it cannot be shaken it's a guarantee we run not because we're afraid (laughs) we run because we're overwhelmed with joy going what else would i live for and we can celebrate in advance he's going you don't have to wait until you see it all it's already yours it's true you can celebrate even in the dark moments. You can be grateful and worshipful with reverence and awe because we know our God is a consuming fire. Friends, brothers, sisters, my prayer for you is that you would keep running. Keep running. I know it's hard. Don't grow weary. And don't give up. Cast off the things that slow you down. They're not worth it. Remember who's watching. Set your gaze on Jesus. Receive the training of the Father with joy and submit to it. And we will have something worth celebrating together, the kingdom that is ours and that cannot be shaken. Keep running. Let me pray for us. Ah. so God I'm asking that you would use this word to sustain the weary encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ to keep running make it true by your spirit that we would be a people that endure and I pray for my friends in the room that are not yet Christians that even now by your spirit they would be prodded to ask the question what are they running for is it worth their energy and affection and devotion friend is it What's your life about? I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to convince those that have yet to trust Jesus to just see the love of Christ on the cross, enduring all for the sake of purchasing his own. Thank you for pursuing us even when we weren't ready to pursue you. And I pray for my friends that are not yet Christians that they would set their gaze on Jesus and run after him today. We love you, God. We thank you. We pray that you would use these words, this text, to continue to produce fruit in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.